Good afternoon. Welcome to the Players Hall Podcast. My name is C1C Jack Calkins. Here's my NCO, C2C Jack Wachtel. Uh, today we're here with uh, Special Olympian Loretta Claiborne. Uh, she's a motivational speaker, uh, an amazing uh, woman and role model to all of us. And man, welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you give us a little background about how you got to where you are today? Tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. Well, I was born in, when I was born, my mother was told that I wouldn't probably make it into this world. I was born blind. I didn't walk to the age of four. I was held back the first three years in school. So that brought on the taunting and stuff. And of course it brought on for me not being able to have self-worth. And when I look back, I didn't believe in myself. The only way I communicated was not by voice. And no, I didn't use sign language. I communicated with my fists, basically try to fight my way through the world just to be accepted. And I was never accepted by the norm of children. Of course, you're in school. And I always tell people that when someone is in school, that especially in the early years, the elementary years, that's the most important part of their life because that's something that they will remember when they become very, very old. They won't remember the big job or this and that, but they will remember how they were treated by others in school. And of course, I wasn't treated well because of my ability to learn. But as time went by, my mom's main goal was for me to graduate from high school. And at that time, most children like me were supposed to be put in institutions. I was to go to two institutions, the Eastern State School and Hospital and Lawton State School and Hospital in Pennsylvania, which are now closed. And my mother chose to keep me here in the city and she, like she said, I, I can still remember her and her big round body, big heart, raising seven children, single-handedly. Uh, we didn't have a lot of resources. And she says, you have a special education class. Darn it, you're going to educate my Loretta the same as you're going to educate my other six. And her main goal was for me to get a diploma and that my diploma was the same as my sisters and brothers. Not that Loretta attended William Penn Senior High School. Loretta Claiborne has completed her studies at William Penn Senior High School. So that was the beginning. And then as time went on, in my 10th year of school, I was put into a workshop for people with intellectual disability. And that's where basically they were, society was built like that to send your child to special education, get them in a workshop, and that's where they're going to spend the rest of their life in the workshop, if they're not in an institution. So, of course, I went to the shelter workshop, going to school a week, going to work a week, and a counselor noticed that I had anger issues. So I would have to see him like almost every day, and they had people test me, and this counselor says, I think I have something for you. And I'm looking at him with my mean way, and I still remember... Friends of mine saying, oh, I remember Loretta in high school, man. You look at her wrong. She's going to jump on you like a pit bull. <laughs> and uh, one of my best friend's husband, who is now a, a constable in our town, said, man, you couldn't look at her. Everybody would walk to the other side of the hall. You didn't have to do anything. But she, I was just so boiled up with anger. That's the way I thought I was going to live. And... When I graduated from high school, I got my diploma. And of course, like I told you before, 
about how my mother wanted me to have the same diploma, but I remember in 10th grade going to this workshop and getting in trouble the first day and everybody says, yeah, she's out of here. And this counselor that I had called me in that night after lunch, I'm, I'm wrong, that he called me into the lunchroom and he says, I want you to go up there have a I said, no, thank you, because my mom would always say to me, Loretta, let me tell you something. And then I would look at her. I said, I know. Don't take anything for anybody because you don't get something for nothing. You keep saying that to me. So, of course, I go to the workshop. And Mr. Gilreef says, Loretta, I want you to go up there and have sex. No, thank you. He says, Loretta, I'm not going to say it again. Come here. He takes me up. I walk through the line of sandwiches. I know I could, what I could have and what I couldn't have because my dietary thing. It's really a medical condition, so I pick up peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I went and ate it, and I prayed that he didn't call my mother. Well, that night, they called me in. He says, well, I'd like you to do this. And I'll, he handed me this paper. I said, oh, no, Ma, I can't do this. My mom's not going to let me do this. And by the way, next week I go to school. He says, well, I want you to do this. I want you to take this paper home. So I took the paper home. I showed my mother. She's playing cards. And she looked at, what's this? I said, Mr. Gilweef gave it to me. I just want to make sure, because you don't tell a lie. I, I just want to make sure I didn't hold nothing back from you, because I knew how she was. She had a beeline. Even though she didn't have a phone at the time, she had two or three numbers that he could call and guaranteed to get her. My mom was a big woman. You talk about integrity, you don't lie to Rita. You don't lie, you don't cheat. And I remember my sister's cheating in card games. said, mm-hmm, you're a cheater, then you're a liar, and you're a thief. So I'm going to tell you now, in my house, you don't do that. So I took the paper and said, oh, I can't do this. I said, what is it? I said, Mr. Lee gave, it's about the Olympics. She looked at, threw the paper up in the refrigerator. Miss Betty says, you know what, Miss Claiborne, why don't you let her do that? Well, I got kids in drum corps, and I'm on welfare. I can't spend, spend no money for no Olympics. Betty says, look, Rita, it's free. Free for all the people at the workshop. Why don't you let Loretta do that? You know, you're having an issue with Loretta, all those pills and stuff. Why don't you let her do that? It was, that was my first scant. That Saturday morning, they had the first practice. And I heard this. Get up, get up, darn you. Take another free sandwich. You get up and get your clothes on and get out of this house and, and you get to that workshop. You think twice before you take another free sandwich. What did I tell you about that? You, what did I tell you? Mm -hmm. You're going to get your little not nice, kind words, and you're going to go to that workshop. So I went to the workshop, came back, and said, mm-hmm. Now you get up there and get your buckets and clean them bathrooms, get them clothes hung out. There's a bucket waiting on you now. How was it, How was Special Olympics? I said, it was okay. I quit. She said, what did you say? I said, I quit. She said, you don't quit nothing in my house. You understand? You don't quit nothing in my house because you quit today, you'll be quitting in life. And that's the same thing I think about these young people who work so hard to come serve our country. They're not quitters. They're, they're not afraid to make the sacrifice. You all know what's going to happen. Even now, I sat in the cafeteria today and I listened to the young people. The president was speaking. And I've, I've never been in a cafeteria. 4,000 people, young people who are going to serve our country. And like I said before, I wasn't going to come here at first because of COVID. But I had this little saying, faith trumps over fear. And then the lady who asked me to come, her son works here. 
I think he's one of the captains. And then she has a younger son who's just a freshman. And I said, Coach Deb, she's our tennis coach for our local Special Olympic program. I don't know. I, I don't really want to go anywhere where there's, you know, I don't ride buses. I'm, I'm not doing planes no more. I don't do the Greyhound. You know how much I love the Greyhound. So she calls Nora, the gentleman who I'm with's wife, and she talked to me. And I said to myself, you know what, Loretta, that's not right. I need to step out of my box. Faith trumps over fear. I got to use my faith, trump over the fear of COVID, and go out there and speak. Because these are people who are going to serve for our country. These are people who are going to give me freedom and everyone else freedom. And I remember talking to some guys in my neighborhood. We have this group that comes in the Turkey Hill, and they all stand up. And I was telling them about this place I was going. He said, where are you going to speak? I said, yeah, I'm going to try to spread my rings and step out of my box. I said, I'm going to go out and speak to young cadets who are going to be probably flying for us and protecting our country all over this world. Really? You're going to do that? And I looked at him and got one guy says, oh, I don't know if I would do that if I was you. I said, you know what? I said, it's it's worth it for me to do. I said, because I believe in not everyone does something for me. And if somebody does something for me, it's in my heart to do something for somebody else. These people are going to serve our country. We're not going to, you know, if we don't have these people serve our country, look at Vietnam. Look at the other wars that we have. Look at the people who fought and died. They sacrificed to make a gain so that we could have the freedom. They sacrificed their lives. My dad did. My brother did. I said, lots of people in my family, lots of people in your family. I said, so I think it's my duty to be able to go out to the Air Force Academy and speak to the next generation who's going to make a sacrifice so that our country can have a gain, that we can have freedom, that we are not told that we have to re read this book in school, or we are told that we can only have this much money, or we are told that you can only go one, one down one side of the street. I said, how would that feel? I said, I know what it's like. I said, because I was going to go to an institution one time in my life, and that's how it was. People wake up a certain time, people go to bed a certain time, people eat at a certain time. There was no freedom. And this was an institution for people with intellectual disability way before your time. We're talking the 70s, the 60s, the 50s. People who were born like me with an intellectual disability, which means it just takes me longer to, slow, to learn or slower to do something. It doesn't mean I can't learn. This takes me longer. Can you imagine that life being wasted like that? I said, that to me reminds me of prison. That to me reminds me of dictatorship. So nobody wants to live like that. So now we have these freedoms to fight, to speak, to talk, to go up in front of a podium and say, hey, I think this is wrong that these people are being treat, treated like this, put in institutions. They deserve the rights to education. They never committed a crime. So you folks here at the U.S. Air Force Academy, even with the situation that's going today, as I listened to the TV this morning, I fear for you, but I know you will do well. And today in the cafeteria, when I heard the one young lady saying that one of her people that she knows is going to Germany, being shipped out of here right now. So you're making that sacrifice. You are showing that you believe in our country. 
You believe in our freedoms. You believe in what we do. You believe in humanity. You believe in having empathy, empathy for somebody. Our country has, for years, even during Vietnam, after that war was over, we want to help clean up. We want to help bring those people here to get them back on their feet. Afghanistan, they brought people to our town. Now those people, people got together, had faith in those people. Those people were people who helped our constituents when we were there. We saved those people. Now they, they're opening stores and going on and live their lives. That's just the kind of people we are as Americans. We always bend down. We always have empathy. We always think about the other person. And we always think about the person who doesn't have as much. Uh, how do you think it, um, like people with intellectual disabilities now, I'm just a little curious about because I'm sure you're like a bit of an activist in that sort of realm when it comes to how in, people with intellectual disabilities are treated. It, it, has it gotten a lot better since? You know, it has. And uh, not only do I fight for people with intellectual disabilities, uh, just a couple of years ago, I was called to Zurich, Switzerland. Zurich is a place where they have all the soccer, which we, which we call soccer. It's football. <laughs> Globally, it's called football. Mm -hmm. So I was called to the conference to serve on a panel. And a young man had stood up and asked a question. And we were wondering on the panel who was, the question was going to be directed to. And, of course, he picked me. Not the person from FIFA, not the person from a world sport, uh, football. It was me. So he says, next year, the international soccer, the big soccer tournament is coming to Russia. But Russia has a problem. We don't accept people who happen to be gay. LBGTQ. And he asked me the question. And I said, well, I'm here to represent people with intellectual disability. Uh, I don't know if you know about our movement. It's Special Olympics. We're in 192 countries. There's six, mil six million athletes. I said, but not only do we have people with intellectual disability, we have everyone who wants to be a part. We include. We go into schools. We want young people to start clubs. We want our schools to be more inclusive. We don't want our people who have the opportunity to learn at Hillcrest High School, who just because they learn a little slower, come out of school with a bad reputation that, oh, only thing school did for me was put me in the basement. Schools are changing, so we invite everyone. I said, now getting to your question about the LTGQ issue, that's people with different sexes. I know what all, all the acronyms mean. Maybe there's somebody here from FIFA who could help you. And everybody on that panel was sweating. And I was the one who stood up and answered the question. But is it about just me? Is it about just people with intellectual disability? No, it's about all people. We all need to be included. There's no exclusion. I know what it feels like to be excluded. So why should we exclude people? 100%. I think adversity is not just one, you know, obviously not just one group. And like, like in early in your career, you embodied the sort of like facing the adversity when it comes to intellectual disabilities, but now you're expanding your sort of range. And, yes. And people are, and, and it's really neat to see sort of somebody speaking up about that as well. Um, so you sp spoke a little bit about adversity in your life, uh, especially when you're younger, but um, what kind of role does your moral compass play when it comes to facing adversity in your life? You know, I faced adversity in my life 
all along the way. I, I know my mother, she faced it because when she went to school, it was all black schools. Uh, there was, she went, she was probably at the crux where they, they drank out a certain fountain or a certain bathroom. Well, I just missed that. And I seen it as a young kid, but I didn't see it much as about my color. It was about the way I learned. Mm -hmm. And as time went by, as I grew up and became older, just to fit in the community, there were times, even when I bought my home, because I was told I would never be able to buy a home. I bought a home in 99. I paid it off. I worked and I saved and I paid my home off. Not a big place, this teeny tiny place. So... I always do things the old way. I like to use still write out the check, and I don't trust too much of the credit card stuff. So I was starting to travel. This was in 2007. Bought my home in 99. I decided I'm going to get a little credit card. So I go down to my local bank where I bought my home. Where I grew up, I would go do my Uncle Herb's banking. Everybody went to York Bank. So I went in, I sat down with a lady, I said, can I see one of the ladies? I had a little bit of money saved, not much, just enough. And I said to her, I'd like to have a credit card. And so she, she talked to me and says, we'll send you an application. So I got the application, I had somebody help me fill it out and everything. And I figured, well, my home's paid off, I bought it. I have a good standing. And next thing I know, I get in the mail, you have been denied the credit card. So I take the, no the notice down and I show the lady. I asked for, I sat there and waited and she was done her customer. She took me in the back and I said, you know, they denied me. I said, I don't know why. I said, cause I paid my home off. I never had trouble with bills. I always paid my taxes ahead of time. She said, well, Miss Claiborne, I'm going to look into this. So she sent me another one. Second one, denied. I was asking for five hundred dollar credit card not a thousand this is 2007 I had more than a thousand dollars in the bank and a couple thousand dollars all I wanted was a credit card so the second time I went down I said ma'am and then the lady comes and stands in front of the door she stands over like at the store and she just leans like oh well Miss Claiborne you don't have enough money and I looked at her I said excuse me ma'am I'm not talking to you I'm talking to her she is the person that's handling my banking and I appreciated that you let me deal with her. So then I looked and she stood there and she rolled her eyes and I said, you know, I'm just gonna let it like this. Don't let me have to come down here a third time. I said, cause the gentleman who was out there arguing evidently owes this bank money or something. I don't know what it is, but I don't owe you anything. I said, I could blame it on the color of my skin and play my race card. I said, I have a deck of cards in my pocket. I said, but I don't think it's that. You think I can't handle things because of my disability. I said, but you're wrong. I never owed you a penny. My house was paid off. I said, had I ever had any misuse of my little card that I had? Third time, you have been approved by a credit card. For a credit card. Took three times. Why? Because I told her. This is not a baseball game. In a baseball game, you get three strikes, you're out. I said, I don't play baseball. I said, I'm coming here to do my banking, just like the next fellow outside. And I don't want to play the race card, but I know you think I can't handle things. Well, obviously, I could handle things if I bought my home and paid it off. Isn't that the good old American dream? 100%.
That's an incredible story, ma'am. I was wondering if we could transition the topic to your time when you were running for the for the Olympics. 26 marathons, I believe. 26 marathons. That's incredible. I just ran my first one in October, and it was an amazing experience. I have to tell you about my running story. Oh, please do. That's awesome. <laughs> my this brother so Hank good. was in the military, and be, way before he went to military, he ran. And i never forget this because he played a little bit of football, and the coach made a remark at his high school, and the whole team quit. But Hank always ran and he always wrestled. Phenomenal wrestler, state champion, state champion running. So I would follow him around in the projects because I didn't have a lot of friends. So my brother kind of took me under his wing. We had this field and he put the hurdles up and he let the guys come and I would run around and my mom would say to me, Loretta, you don't need to really be hanging around the guys. But I had nobody to hang around with. But, and Hank said, well, you know where Loretta is. You don't have to worry about hunting her like the other ones because she had five girls and two boys. And so I would just follow Hank. We'd go out to college. He'd run around the college. We'd run back. He had this towel, and he'd wipe himself off. Here, sis, wipe yourself off. The towel would be wet. And he would wait for me. He'd run so far and watch me come home, and that was the starting of my running in 1966. I was 12, not quite 13. I was 12 years old. Years later, I kept it up, and a friend of mine, Mr. Hollis, who I'm still, his wife is my best, best friend. One day, we was watching TV, and he says, and he was a runner. He went to NOM. He had came out NOM, just a small, tiny thing. He said they used him to go in the holes and listen for the enemy. And um, we decided, Hack looked at me. I call him Hack. Bob, he said, hey, you want to run a marathon? I said, Bob, you know how far a marathon is? Man, you got to be out of your tree. Oh, come on, Reddy, we can do it. So we decided to train. He trained and then I trained. I lived on the West End. He lived on the North End. So we all did our own little training. Then we decided, well, before we do the marathon in a couple of weeks, we're going to go up to Harrisburg and run, see where the course is, trying to figure out where this course is. We heard shots. Somebody shooting like deer hunting. We bolted out there like jackrabbits. A couple weeks later, the marathon comes up. We get started. I didn't see Bob. He must have went out pretty fast. We get up around this road called Longstown Road, and we're coming back. There's Bob walking. Hey, hey, Hen, what's up? I said, what's wrong, Bob? He said, how you doing? I said, I'm all right. I got a couple blisters. He said, man, I think I'm going to have to quit. I said, oh, no, Bob. I don't do no quitting. So I kept running, and I met up with another friend of mine, Tim Grunbacher. He was going to quit. I said, come on, Tim, we're going to finish this. We're going to walk, run, walk, run until we finished it. Finished the first one, three hours and 35 minutes. Wow. A couple weeks later. That's still a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> That's still a really Listeners, good time. <laughs> we stopped at a medical tent. They gave me a Band-Aid like you put around your finger. I had a blister like that. Oh, man. <laughs> so I put the Band-Aid on, and it was like, oh, man. Shoes were flat. There was nothing like today. There was no chips in your race. You know, you run now. Mm-hmm. If you're in the back seven minutes from for the Boston, you don't get clicked until you pass it. So it was none of that. So I finished. A couple weeks later, I go to Becky's house. Hey, Bob, there's a marathon in Baltimore. I'm going to run it. You want to run it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His <laughs> wife, big as the house. Uh-uh, heck, you ain't running no. So she gets her clothes on. We go to Baltimore. I run the race, and she looks at, look, I ain't chasing no kids a day, Bob. 
So he stands back, watches the kids. That was the second marathon, like two weeks later. Oh. <laughs> I was like, you barely recovered from the first one. <laughs> and then I went ran and I ran like five marathons in like from what November to March, April, and uh, end up running the first um, Boston Marathon. And I qualified legitimately. Times were tougher then. They didn't have the shoes like they have now. They didn't have all the chips and stuff they had. They didn't mm. have the diets and how to train. All self-motivated. Of course, Bob says, Loretta, I, I did one and I'm done. <laughs> well, how old were you when you ran your first one? Well, I ran my first marathon in 1978. And when was your first 79. Olympics? My first Special Olympics marathon, mm. They did. I tried to fight and fight and fight and fight for Special Olympics to get the marathon, and they never would get it. And then in 90, I think it was 95, they got the first marathon. But I had competed in another sport, so I couldn't do it. How many sports did you compete in? I saw, like, it was a list, right? Oh, I oh. ski, I skate, I did roller skating. I always like to try different things, because so many times we get fixed with one sport. Mm-hmm. And a lot of athletes would get fixed one sport and then they're done. I like to try different things. I tried swimming. wasn't the best for me. I kept getting sinus aches. Hmm. Kept getting athlete feet. And my doctor says, already you've been in my office three times. Three years, three times with the same sinus. Consider another sport. <laughs> <laughs> I did skiing. I, I played volleyball, bocce. I, I tried almost every sport. Bowling too, right? Bowling. Bowling too, yeah. I yes, saw that I last love the bowl. <laughs> golf. I even tried golf. Tennis. I played tennis. Wow. <laughs> and it's all self-taught. You've competed in a variety of sports, um, both at the I love really, sport. really the <laughs> professional level. Has there been a time when your integrity was challenged throughout that time period? You know, my integrity gets challenged a lot throughout sports because like, I'm very competitive when I'm in a sport that I'm really comfortable, like my running and my tennis, and there were times where I could see where I would go and play tennis and it was against all girls that belong to tennis clubs. And they would like, look, huh, you know. And I would beat some of them. I would actually beat them, but it was funny because they had a national games one time and I really wanted to go. And I knew I had the, the right thing. I did all the protocol and everything. And then all of a sudden, the coach comes to me and says, Hey, Loretta, uh, you'll probably be going to Worlds because it's your division that they're picking in. And I knew of one first place, honestly, legitimately. I trained hard. That year came up, and they were picking for the Worlds. They switched it to another division, and a friend of mine who happened to compete for the first time at state games in a lower division lost all her events, and she got chosen to go to the Worlds. Mind you, her first year. Well, then two hours later, they came back and said, oh, no, she's not going because she, um, I don't know what the information was, but somebody made a mistake. And I thought that was wrong. Once you give an award to somebody, it's theirs. If you made a mistake, then you go and find another slot somewhere else. Well, they took it from my division and that really hurted me. But you know what? I'm the kind of person that I just learned to pick myself up. I would have been really out of shape about it. I was upset about it, but I didn't get bent out of shape. I said, well, whatever, whatever. 
because that's not going to stop me. I'm, you know, I fall down and I try to get myself back up. Because if I didn't, so many people, when things happen like that to them, they just quit. And they don't prosper within themselves. And when I say prosper, I don't mean prosper, have a big house, have this and that. Prosper within yourself, have success within yourself. Well, I got thrown down, but that doesn't mean I can't get back up. And I always use a little humor with it. So guess what? I'm going to try out for tennis for Germany see what happens. And they'll probably do the same thing. I'll say, well, you know what? I don't have to live with that because I believe in God and he doesn't slip a note. My great-grandmom was killed during the riots in 69 and they never found out who took her life. In 2003, a reporter came because a case was busted open from this mayor in our town who was a rookie cop who caused this woman to get killed. And as they were doing this thing, these detectives were going around asking people questions. So it came up about the woman who was murdered, who happened to be my great-grandma. And they were talking to my brother, and my brother said, they found the body right here. I said, hey, that's my fishing spot. I never went back there to fish, but I looked at him. I said, and, and it really bothered me that my great-grandma was murdered. So they came to me and my brother, and they had a picture of us walking through the cemetery. I still have it. And I turned around at the end of this thing. I said, you know, they probably won't find out who killed my great-grandma. But God above sees everything. And he doesn't miss a move or slip a note. That's really good, ma'am. I, uh, I really appreciate that story and that insight. Is there any stories as we wrap up here that you'd like to tell that where your moral compass has come into play or that you feel like you'd like to share with the, the cadets that listen? I'm hoping that the cadets that are listening would branch themselves out, and it's going to be a tough time for them. But if you have the chance in life and think about life, think about those who don't have as much as you, and never be afraid to speak out or speak up for one or something you believe in. I mean, when Eunice Kennedy Shriver started Special Olympics, they told her it would never go. Who would ever think it would be 52 years now that program's been going on, 54 years? And it's going strong. There are over 6 million athletes. It's not just people with intellectual disability. It's people with and without intellectual disability coming together to try to make the world a more inclusive place. And we start with the very young in the schools where we have a unified sports program, unified clubs in high school, and hopefully in in the communities where we're having people coming together. And it's, if you have a chance to look at specialolympics.org and look up unified schools, and it is an inclusion revolution because we are trying to bring people together no matter where they come from. And it goes back to the FIFA thing. You know, if you exclude, what do you get out of it? Heartache. But if you learn to include, you learn about each other. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the cadets at this academy, this is an eye-opener for them. And as they go beyond the academy and go and see what the rest of the world is like, they would understand what I'm saying. Once you include someone into your life or somebody who's different or somebody who might be of a different religion, it's amazing how you find out we're more alike than we are disalike. 
Ms. Claiborne, thank you so much for joining us. Your thank story you. is inspiring, and honestly, I was, it's awesome meeting an Olympian.